0: Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center, New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson.
1: So tonight we're going to look at uh, what I'm calling a Bible inspired guide for accomplishing your goals. Now, this is something that I dealt with in the healing uh, discipleship training class, and it's a little guide I developed from seven scriptures. And you can turn to the scripture uh, as I talk. It's Matthew chapter 15, and the seven scriptures of verses 22 to 28. Now, let me start with a word about the Bible, since it is the source of tonight's message, and in fact. It obviously should be the source of all messages taught to the body of Christ. Now, there are a number of ways that we, as Christians, should view the Bible. We should know, and we've been teaching on this, that it is a revealed and inspired word of God, expressed through some 44 different writers who composed its 66 books. We know it contains God's plan for man's redemption, which means that it is about Jesus. Jesus is a central figure in the whole Bible. The Old Testament predicts his coming and sets the stage for his entrance into the world. The New Testament describes his coming and his work in bringing salvation to a sinful world. Now we also know that within the Bible we find lessons and examples that outline how we Christians can live a victorious, overcoming life. uh, During this period that we experience in this world. Tonight, I wanna share with you a simple model plan of action for achieving success that's found in the small story in the Gospel of Matthew. In the seven short verses that I mentioned to you already, Matthew chapter 15, verses 22 and 28, we find a model approach to seeking and finding healing by employing spiritual resources as revealed in these verses. Now, in fact, this is a model plan to be used in the successful achievement of any goal, any objective that is consistent with the Word of God. And again, I call it a Bible-inspired guide for accomplishing your goals. Now, an interesting fact is that the points in this model plan cover 10 or 12 of the basic steps. Steps that Apostle Price has been teaching us for over 40 years, and you will see this as we proceed. Turn to Matthew 15, 22, 28, which I think you already have done, and, and let's read uh, the scripture. And we're going to look at it because, first of all, it, it helps instruct us in terms of how we should read scripture. I will read it to you you can follow along starting at verse 22 and it says and behold a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him him being Jesus now let me say right up front this is a little pointer on reading the Bible when you say behold because obviously every sentence doesn't start out with behold but behold is calling your attention specifically to what's going to follow behold behold is saying look at this Pay attention. What follows is something that's important to what you're going to be reading after that. So it's saying, pay attention, look. And what follows that, it says, a woman from Canaan. Now, you'll find out why that's important as we discuss uh, these scriptures and, and go over them later. But it's telling us that this is a woman from Canaan. Now, let me say this about pinpointing a person's identity like this in the Bible. The Bible is very, very uh, parsimonious with words and descriptions and sentences. It only gives you essentially what you need. And many of us will say it doesn't give us all that we need sometimes in terms of explanation. So when it goes out of its way to say, pay particular attention, to the fact that this woman is from Canaan is telling us that this is important. Uh, Now, it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Verse 23. But he answered her, Not a word. In other words, he ignored her. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away. For she cries after us. In other words, she's annoying us. Uh, Verse 24, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now that ties into the first scripture I read. He was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If you are a woman from Canaan, you are not a member of that household. (laughs) You're not an Israelite. You're not a member of the house of Israel. Twenty-five. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Then he answered and said, in verse 26, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. It sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? And she said, she had a quick comeback. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. 28. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, as I said, there's seven scriptures there, and you could easily miss everything that I'm going to teach about tonight here because you could read it just as another example of Jesus healing someone in the Bible, which is what it is. But there's a lot more in there, and we're going to look at this. Hmm? All right. Now, the actions described here of the Canaanite woman seeking healing for her daughter demonstrates great faith, as Jesus tells her in the last scripture. What we as believers know today is that faith can only operate where and when the will of God is known. It can only operate if it's based on knowledge. Now, in other words, where there is knowledge of the word... uh, we can know the will of God because his will is his word contained in the Bible that we have. Now, as we examine this model in Matthew 15, uh, verses 22-28, we see that, faith, that the faith of the woman from Canaan flowed from her knowledge of the word. Now, how did she have knowledge of the word? There, were, there was no Bible for her. And it, certainly there was no Testament Bible for her. She had knowledge of the living word, of Jesus. And in our teachings, I've been teaching it, we need to have knowledge of the word and know where the word is, the word is in the Bible. Well, she had knowledge of the word and where the word is. The word is Jesus, this is the word incarnate, this is the word in the flesh, this is the big word. (laughs) Couldn't have a better representation of the word than Jesus himself. And when I say that she know, she knew where the word was, how do I know that? Because she came there. She's a woman from Canaan. He was not teaching in Canaan. She knew somehow that he was going to be in that region. So she came there, so she had knowledge of the word and where the word was. Like we have knowledge of the word and we know where the word is. It's in this book, so forth. All right. Here are the steps that come from these seven scriptures. Step, no comments from the peanut gallery. (laughs) The first step is knowledge, as I said. You must have knowledge of what you want to accomplish. In verse 22, the woman cries out, "'Have mercy on me, O Lord of David.' Here she demonstrates knowledge of the Word in the flesh in the person of Jesus. Remember John uh, chapter 1, tells us and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is speaking of Jesus, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Now she evidently heard or knew that the expected Messiah of the Jews was to come out of what? The house of David. Uh, That's in the scriptures. She was, now how did she know that? This is a Canaanite woman. How did she know? She was also aware, because she says, have mercy on me, O son of David. So she knew that that's who he was. Uh, So she evidently heard and knew that the expected Messiah for the Jews was to come out of the house of David. She was also aware that wherever Jesus traveled in that region, great masses of people, gathered to hear him. She must have heard that all who were sick and sought the Lord for healing were in fact healed. The scriptures always say this. What does the scripture say? And all were healed, and he healed them all, and so forth. Now, this shows that she had knowledge of current events. She knew that Jesus would be traveling in that area. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how, but it's obviously, again, it's self-evident that she knew why because she was right there where he was. Uh, from knowledge comes the what, when, where, and how to do things that need to be done. The where includes knowledge of where you find your help. Remember Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And 2 Peter 1, 5, which says, add to you f- your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Knowledge is so important. This is knowledge of the word and knowledge of your environment and the things of the world around you. Knowledge gives you confidence and boldness to act and speak, and it becomes the foundation of belief. Knowledge becomes the foundation for faith and belief. Now, the second point here is belief. It's step two. You must have strong belief in what you want to accomplish. From the knowledge described above, the Canaanite woman formed the belief that Jesus could heal her daughter. This belief came from her hearing about a man called Jesus who was going about healing people and this, this Jesus might be the Messiah that the Jews were expecting to come. Now hearing about Jesus caused her belief, to her, caused her to have belief and faith in him as a healer uh, to develop. And we all know from Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. She heard about Jesus. She developed a belief. And she, first of all, she developed a faith in him as a healer and a potential healer of her demon-possessed daughter. So faith is step three. You, have, you develop belief. And then faith is step three. And why do I put faith as step three after belief? Because faith is acting on what you believe. Remember, that's the apostle's definition. It's a very good definition uh, of faith. F- uh, faith combined with action, and that's action that corresponds to your faith. In other words, you believe, you have faith that he's a healer, so your corresponding action is that you bring your demon-possessed daughter to try to get her in front of him for him to administer healing to her. So from the belief she had formed, the Canaanite woman developed a strong faith in the healing possibility and power of Jesus. She acted on her belief by locating the word, that's locating Jesus, and calling out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Again, faith is acting on your belief. Here she's also demonstrating Romans 10.13, which says... For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And she was calling out to the Lord. Now, stating the specific need you have is step four. We need to be specific when we are asking for help. In a petition prayer, we need to lay out what we're seeking. You know, it's uh, all well and good to say, Father, help me. But it's much better if you say, Father, help me with something in particular and you give specificity to it and so on. So you say, Father, help you. He might just help you get a meal and you need money to pay your rent and so forth and so on. So you need to be specific. Now, a Canaanite woman was very clear in making her request known to Jesus. That request was healing for her daughter who she said was severely demon possessed. Now, this reflects Philippians chapter four verses six, seven, and six and seven, and you have it right there, which says, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus." Now. You remember the story of Nehemiah, who was a Jew exiled in Persia. Persia had really been the Babylonian exile and then then the the Persians took over. So he was a Jew exiled away from uh, Judea. And he sought and received permission from the king of Persia to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall of the city that had been destroyed. Jerusalem and Judea always had a wall, a protection wall around the city. It followed into great disrepair. So he was sad and, uh, about this when he heard about it from travelers coming back and forth. So he got the king to issue him letters of safe passage to show to the governors whose regions he would pass on the way to Jerusalem. He asked and received lumber, it's described as timber in, in the Bible from the king's forest to use in building wall. And he asked, and the king gave him a military escort as he traveled through the various regions on the way to Judah. Some dangerous territory that he was passing through and so forth. This goes back to step one, which states the importance of knowledge. We have to be like Nehemiah, who presents a plan to the king. In other words, he presents a plan to the person who could help him king was actually the only person who could help him. Now you know the story of Nehemiah. He was the cupbearer to the king. So obviously he was someone that the the king trusted. So he came in one morning and the king saw this sad countenance on his face and he asked him what was wrong. And he told him about the fact that he was very upset about the plight of the people in uh, Judea and that the walls were in such disrepair and so on. And so they were left open for attack because they didn't have the protections that they had had down through the years. Now, he presents his plan and requests for help to the king of Persia relating to the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. Nehemiah Nehemiah was very specific in the help and supplies he would need, and the king granted him everything he requested. Now, you, if you have an idea, proposal, or product you want to market or launch into a business, you have to have facts. You have to have financial figures, costs and profit projections, a timeline and other facts to present to a prospective investor. You especially want to have your startup costs, at least one year of operating costs and completion costs figured out to present to prospective investors. This is what Jesus was talking about in Luke 14:28 when he asked, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? and whether he has enough to finish it. So he's talking about, make sure you have your plans mapped out, make sure you know what you need, make sure you have all of the things that you need. And if you're requesting them, make those requests known uh, with clarity, which is what Nehemiah did in the story of Nehemiah, which I taught on uh, a couple of years ago. This woman was very specific, she said, Uh, She was seeking healing for her severely demon-possessed daughter. Now, in terms of Luke 14, 28, when Jesus asked, which, which of you who set out to build a tower would do so or start to do so without first counting the cost? Here, he's directing this point to prospective disciples who would leave all and follow him, and telling them to count the cost of being a disciple. In other words, can you leave your family? Do they have sufficient means to take care of themselves? Uh, And so on. Because you may be away for some time because we're going to be traveling around the country. So he's telling them, in this sense, to count the cost of your following me the financial cost. And who's going to look after your family? Do they have sufficient means? And so forth. But this applies to any proposal that involves the need for people and capital investment. Now the fifth point is this. You need to seek and expect to receive the help that you're seeking. In other words, it's more than hoping that you're going to you're going to get the help. Remember Jesus gives those three things, seek and you shall find Ask and it shall be open unto you I'm mean, asking you shall receive I'm sorry, knock and it shall be open unto you. You have to do those steps. you have to step out and do as opposed to sitting with folded hands expecting something to turn up, waiting on the Lord as some, some people say i'm waiting on the Lord to. Uh, to uh, solve this problem for me. You're waiting on the Lord, and the Lord is waiting on you. Now, I, I touch on this in in Sunday's message that you're going to hear Sunday, but the scripture in James tells us to do what? Draw nigh to God, or near to God, and God draws near to us. God's waiting for you to move, but you have to make the first move. You move towards him, and then he'll move towards you, so forth. So, that's what uh, we're talking about here. Uh, now in Hebrews 11:6, we're told, "But without faith, it's impossible to please Him, Him being God, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You have to believe that he is, first of all, and you have to believe that he will reward those who diligently seek Him. And it's also going to be in my message on Sunday. Uh, now, I always like to point out here that uh, God does not make the barrier impossible. Notice what it says in Hebrews 11, 6. It says that you must believe that he is. It doesn't require that you know that he is. Now, that's... Pretty good. Now, you may know in your heart that he is, but he's not requiring that you be able to tell me how do you know that he is. He's saying you must believe, and that believing is in your heart, by the way. You must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The condition for getting the reward is to diligently seek him, and I'll be talking about that Sunday. So you have to diligently seek God, and expect a reward for this diligence. Now, this diligence involves a lot more than simply coming to church or Bible study once a week. It requires studying the word, understanding what you study, applying the word, fasting in some cases, and a great deal of prayer and medication. In other words, getting into an understanding of the word, finding the word, studying the word, understanding the word, and applying the word. That's what the phrase be doers of the word and not hearers only means. It means you don't just find the word and can recite it, but be doers of the word, what the, the word tells you to do. So doing is very important. Like the Canaanite woman, we have to seek what we need, ask for it if necessary, and expect to receive what we seek. This is the confidence you need to exhibit in pursuing a goal. Know what you want, set forth what you need, expect to succeed, and even, which is, I don't have it down here, but I'm sure she did this, you visualize yourself accomplishing your goal. You even visualize the goal to completion. Now, she must have in her mind visualized what it would be like, the crowd would be like, what it would be like uh, being around this throng of people surrounding Jesus and, and so forth. She, this is not something that she was used to. She was not from the house of Israel. She was not the normal group that Jesus spoke to, remember? So this was new. So she must have visualized now how, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get close enough? And so on. So she did some visualization of her goal. The sixth point is to verbalize your goal. That's on page four. Speaking what your goal is is so important. In Genesis chapter one, God gives us the example by speaking the world and everything in it into existence. Look at the first chapter in Genesis and we see at every point that when God wanted to call something into existence, He simply said, Let there be, or in other words, let there be light. He may have said, Light be, and so forth. And of course, whatever He spoke uh, came into existence. So He gives us an example of how you speak things into existence. You call those things be, that be not as though they were, you speak the things that you want to happen in your life. You verbalize them. Now, those things that you speak have to be consistent with the word of God. In other words, you can't speak and say, all right, I want 477th Avenue. I want that building transferred to me, the ownership of that building. Or I want Warren Buffett's bank account transferred to my bank account. No, you got to speak things that are consistent with the Bible. You can't speak someone else's property and someone else's uh, uh, things in your life. And for example, women, you can't speak someone else's husband into your life. You can't claim someone else's husband. Now, this has been done, and we know cases of that where it's been done. Uh, and so, but you can't. That's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's one of the commandments that you're violating. That's, uh, that you're coveting your neighbor's property and your neighbor's wife, so Now, remember in Genesis 1, 26, we're made in God's image and likeness, so we can imitate him by speaking our needs into existence. Again, those needs or wishes must be consistent with the word, as I just said. The Canaanite woman verbalizes, she says her desires for healing for her daughter. Now, she knows that that's the will of of Jesus, and how does she know that? Because she heard about all of the healing that had taken place, that's why she's there. She she knows that that's his will, that people get healed. And by the way, I think that that's the number one and the most important reason reason Jesus came, that is to heal. Uh, and you, you look around. Now, it, it's, it's physical healing, but it's healing. And in, in others, like healing a broken hearted and healing it could be healing your bank account too. But, I, but, but actual healing in terms of sickness and disease and demon possession and that sort of thing and attacks on the mind. Because that's what you hear in terms of all of his experiences. And he went about healing all who were possessed of a devil. When he's anointed by God, remember Acts ten thirty eight. After he was anointed, he went about healing all who were possessed of the devil, and so forth. Healing was, to me, his number one mission, and that was the number one reason he came. and And to me, when you look about today, uh, there is so much illness and so much in harmony in the world. There's such a great need for healing. It it, it, it it still exists. And we as disciples of Christ really should be picking up that mantle and laying hands on people, laying hands on ourselves, and doing what we can to help people, especially people in the body of Christ. We're not discriminating to uh, get healed. Now, as I said, she verbalizes and says her desire for healing for her daughter. And this recalls Mark 11:23, which says, For surely I say unto you, Whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, as I point out, and I, I mark this here, you see that uh, says is... Uh, Mentioned three times, Apostle Price likes to point out the fact that in this scripture, Jesus mentions, I'm I'm sorry, he mentions believing once, and he mentions, says, S-A-Y-S, three times. Very important for you. Belief is very important, but it's very important to verbalize uh, what you believe and what you're expecting. This is not to diminish the importance of belief, which we've just discussed, but to emphasize the importance of verbalizing our needs. So we see this in the story of a Canaanite woman with the oh no I'm, we see this the story with the woman with the issue of blood. Now look at Matthew chapter nine, and you have it right there. At the, uh, 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 you don't have a copy of this? Uh, oh no, you don't have a. I'm sorry. I'm thinking I passed this out to you. <laughs> Oh, I have to apologize. Keep, I keep telling you have that in front of you. No, you, you don't have it in front of you. I have it in front of me. But, but what I'll do, since I think it's such a practical plan of action for accomplishing any goal, not just healing, I'm going to pass these out to you next week. We'll, f- we'll finish the next week, so you'll have your own copy of this. So anyway, go to your Bibles and look up Matthew. I'm telling you, it's right in front of you. I'm so used to saying this on Sunday. Uh, Look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, where it says this, and this is a woman with the issue of blood, which we're all familiar with. It says, and suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched him on his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made whole. Now, she didn't have anybody else around her to speak to, to, so she verbalized it to herself. She said to herself, If I may only touch his garment, I shall be made whole. That's great faith. She had belief in faith that if she just touched the hem of his garment. Now, we know that this is a great example of faith on the part of the woman. But I'm emphasizing the important fact that she spoke her expectations about healing before she exercised her faith. Now, a truly significant fact about speaking your need or expectations is the fact that when you speak and verbalize God's word with respect to your desired results, he is duty-bound by his word to confirm his word. Go to Mark, and I'll give you a chance to go there. I'm thinking you have this right in front of you. Nobody said anything. You didn't say, well, I don't really have it. Look at uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 20. Mark chapter 15, verse 20 says this. And they, they being the disciples, went about preaching everywhere, the Lord working with them and doing what? confirming the word through the accompanying signs. In other words, he didn't confirm them, he confirmed his word. So when you stand on his word and you have faith in his word and you believe it, and it relates to the result that you want in some situation, whether it's healing or whatever, he is duty-bound to confirm his word. Now, I can give you my personal experience. You've heard me give this before. When I was hit with uh, prostate cancer in 2008, Uh, And you've heard me say this before. I just said it the other day uh, or this past Sunday. For some particular reason, maybe it was to get my attention, but within 18 months of that time, within that year and whatnot, so many prominent people in the news had died of prostate cancer. And and I mentioned some of the names to you, starting with our own Pastor Landry. That's what he uh, died of. He didn't know, when he was in New York, he didn't realize that he had prostate cancer. I can remember going to the uh, chiropractor with him because he had pain in his back and he thought it was something that the chiropractor could manipulate and and bring some relief. He didn't know until he went back to Los Angeles and got a blood test, he had not gotten a blood workup, that he had stage four cancer and the pain in the back was the cancer metastasizing. It had metastasized in the back, and that's in the back, and that's extremely, extremely painful. Uh, during the same period, uh, the head of the whole Church of God in Christ, coaching Bishop uh, Patterson, Patterson, one of the most dynamic teachers that we've ever heard. I'm sure I know some of you have heard him teach and preach dynamic teacher he died of that Merv Griffin the mogul on TV who owned so many shows like Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and and, and so many other shows and and property on the Beverly Hills Hotel where they have the uh, the uh, foreign press what do you call those Golden Globes every year that's Merv Griffin's hotel and so very wealthy and uh and the same thing with Jerry Orbach. Jerry Orbach was the, one of the stars of Law and Order, but he was also a big Broadway star. It's in 42nd Street. Anybody see 42nd Street? The, the musical 42nd Street. <laughs> he, was a, he died at the same time. Famous songwriter died uh, uh, at, at that time. So here I am, I get the news, the doctor, calls me on the telephone. He says, well, have the results. He says, yeah, I think you should sit down for this because it's serious. He says, you have uh, it's cancer and it's, and it's growing. Now, when he called me, I was three days away from taking a cruise that I had paid for. I was going to take a cruise. that was going to sail the uh, Scandinavian countries and sail into Leningrad, Russia, uh, and so on. So on. The doctor was really surprised when I responded. I said, well, i tell you what. He said, so I have to see you as soon as possible. I said, well, I'll see you in about two and a half weeks. I'm booked on a cruise, which I paid for, and I'm not gonna lose my money. And I said, I don't think I'm gonna die in those two and a half weeks. So I will see you when I get back. Now. The scripture that came to me that I stood on was uh, Psalm 118.17, which is, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Now, let me show you how that came to me. I wasn't reading the Bible. I didn't hear it in a class like this. Somebody was teaching it. It was actually on the cover of a magazine. I think it was a Charisma magazine. It could have been on the cover or inside related to an article. And I turned to that and there it was, and as they say, it jumped out on the page. And you know when something is for you, you know it. You absolutely know it, the light goes off. So I knew it, so that's the scripture I stood on and I recited that, that scripture. I went on the cruise, I had that scripture and I had Dr. Betty's book, Through the Fire, Through the Water, which had her experience and all of the healing scriptures that she had in that book. And that's and that's what I took and I went on the, on the trip, came back and went, into the treatment programs. It was a, a radiation seed implant, and then followed by five weeks of uh, what they call external beam radiation. And as I told the group Sunday, I prayed about the, that was the, the procedure that we selected. It was the same one that Mayor Giuliani. Giuliani was another one who had cancer about the same time, you remember that? The same cancer. That was the treatment that, that he, he pursued. So. I know that radiation can be injurious to the body, especially when you're getting it in such strong doses. So my prayer was, I, I prayed for the doctors, because there was surgery involved. I prayed for the hospital and all the attendants and so forth, and then I prayed over the medication. And I said, Father, I thank you for the beneficial healing properties of the radiation, and I thank you for the benefit that it will have in healing my body. Uh, or bringing the manifestation of a healing to being. And I thank you, Father, that it will have no deleterious or harmful side effects now or in the future. And so that, and as I point out, that's what you need to pray. When you have to take medication, whether it's a pill, or an IV, uh, something, you know, something for high blood pressure, you pray over that medication that it will help in fostering the healing process, but that it won't have any uh, harmful side effects. Now, why is that important? Well, I'll just direct you to television. When you see the drugs being advertised and pushed and they say this drug is for this and this drug is for that, and then you have about 15 side effects which go from everything from, from maybe premature blindness to premature death. And so on. So, you need to pray that you will not have any of these side effects. And I can tell you, you know, from my study and from my knowledge of pharmacology, pharmaceuticals, that any chemical, chemically made drug is going to have some harmful effect on your body. Why? Because it has no business in your body. So, it may do some good. In other words, it may do good one and do good five. So that's why you need to pray the Lord. So God confirms his word. So that's why, again, you know, dovetailing on what I'm teaching on Sunday, you need to study the word in the Bible to find out the words that relate to your situation. You know, and God confirms his word. If you're standing on... A financial need, and you're standing on uh, Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply every need of mine according to his riches and glory. You put God in remembrance. This is this is what you promised, and, uh, and I expect you to confirm your word, especially in time for me to pay my rent <laughs> at the end of the month. Now, notice two things from Mark 16.20. God confirms his word, the word that they preached. He did not confirm the disciples doing the preaching. Also note, word comes first. The signs come afterwards. In other words, you have to stand on the word first, then the signs come afterwards, and so on. So word comes first. Now, I already gave you the example of uh, the cancer, which I described here uh, in, in the scripture. So, I say, find the scripture that supports your goal, whether it's in health, wealth, or wisdom, and believe it and say it, and God will confirm his word its signs follow And I put wisdom there because, you know, what, one of the things that the first chapter in James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God gives to all liberally, meaning freely and abundantly. But then... Sometimes people forget to go to the next verse where it says, "But well, let him ask in faith. So you gotta believe it. And uh, so you ask for wisdom and faith, standing on that word, and God is honor bound to honor his word or to confirm his word. It's so important to know the word. Now, many years ago, Apostle Price demonstrated this principle when he came, when came to his finances. Pastor Price was literally broke, bankrupt. And as he says, and I say, he didn't have a pot to cook in. And I I told this story too. I can remember uh, going by the apartment where they lived. He was actually living in an apartment, a parsonage that was owned by the church where he was an associate minister. And I go by one day from school. I think I was a, uh, a uh, freshman in college at, at, at that point. And I went by because he had gotten a brand new uh, set of, of Encyclopedia Britannicas, And to me, that was the set of books to do research in. You know, when we were doing research in books in those days, nobody does that anymore. Everything is online. Uh, but anyway, I went by... Encyclopedias were gone. Television was gone. His car was gone. Furniture was gone. It looked like somebody had moved in and robbed them, because in those days, if you didn't pay your bills, they sent out people to repossess the thing. Now there's almost no repossession going on today. What the companies do is they just they just spread out the cost and pass it on to you know uh, the future future uh, customers. But anyway, so he was broke. But he got a hold of the word, and he got a hold of the word. First of all, he received the gift and baptism of the Holy Spirit. That was very important. And then he came into an understanding of tithing. Give, and it shall be given unto you, and so forth. And he and Dr. Betty began to tithe at 10%. So at the beginning of this, he also went around verbalizing his new situation. You have to see it before you get it. And he was going around the house saying, I am rich, I am rich, I am rich, all my needs are met. And I think I told the group Sunday that the girls, it was Angela and Cheryl who were there at that time, they, don't want to think, they thought he was crazy <laughs> because nothing looked like they were rich. Nothing looked like they were rich. And I, when I went to visit, him at, at uh, this is later now, this is after that first episode of the uh, house being, everything being repossessed, this is, now I'm, now I'm in law school, so I fly in from New York and I go to the house, I think he may have picked me up from the airport, he would pick me up from the airport and drop me off when I was going back. And I went to the house and I said, boy, this does not look like Apostle's house, the drapes were torn and tattered and things needed repairing, what he had, did, what he had done is stop spending, so his corresponding action to, to the belief that he was gonna get out of debt, that he stopped spending. And that's what a lot of people fail to do. They are claiming that they're gonna be out of debt, but they're maxing out their credit cards. So he stopped spending. So but you know, the, the whole thing is history, as, as I point out. Now, he started tithing 10%. And he said that he didn't know how he'd live, giving up this 10% of his money. He now tithes about 45 to 46% of everything that he gets. And that's a lot of income that he gets. He gives it away and he says he lives better on the 54% than he used to live on the 100%. Because I always say 54% of something is better than 100% of nothing. So, but the, but the, but the point is he believed it, he stood on the word, the scriptures, and he verbalized it. So. If you think that people are going to think you're crazy, then verbalize it in the shower. Verbalize it to yourself in front of the mirror. Or mumble to yourself, you know, walking along the streets. And act like you're talking into a cell phone. But not, so on. So, very, very important. Now, the seventh point is, uh, and again, I'm going to pass these out to you, is uh, persistence and hard work. You can expect that your faith in your plan will be tested. You may get rejection, expressions of no interest from family and friends. In fact, they can discourage you and they're likely to be the first one to discourage you. You know, this is a stupid idea. You know, you're you're either too young or you're too old or or no women go into this kind of business and whatnot and so on. and so they are some of the first ones to, to maybe be dispiriting to you. And this is why Nehemiah, going back to that story, he told only a couple people about his plan. He told the king, you only tell your plan to the one or two people that may be important to your carrying out the plan. You don't just blab it out. Because so, some people, when they, they say, I'm gonna write a book and they tell everybody, and then they get so many things happening that they never end up doing it. Oh, they're gonna do this or that, and so on. Because what happens is that the negatives flow in and whatnot, and, and, and all kinds of obstacles come in, into play. So keep it to yourself. Uh, so in this story we're analyzing, we see that no matter what the obstacles, obstacles that The Canaanite woman faced, she simply would not give up her desire to go. Remember in verse 23, Jesus ignored her and the disciples urged her to go away. She stayed with them as they moved about. In verse 24, this is of Matthew 15, by the way, chapter 15. Verse 24, he reminds her that he was sent only to serve the house of Israel. She was a Canaanite and certainly not of the house of Israel, but she stuck with it. In verse 26, He delivers a blow that would have sent most people running when he answered her plea for help by saying, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, this probably would have sent 90% of the people running, if not 99% of the running, but she hung in there and so on. and, and, And so, even with the insult, the Canaanite woman would not be deterred. She saw every challenge as a test of her endurance a test or trial of her faith as she chose to grow through the challenge and not just go through them. She got bolder and stronger. She grew and her endurance grew at each new hurdle. And that's why I'm using this as a model plan because these seven verses give us a model plan of how to start out, how to continue, how to find the word that we can stand on, How to act in faith, how to be persistent, how to verbalize our need, and how not to let anything deter us. And we'll pick this up next week.
0: Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212 749